Um, we are in our series this month. We decided to start the year off in, the, in January with a series called Living on the Edge. And if you were not here last week for kind of the intro to this series, let me just very briefly kind of let you know what we mean when we're saying living on the edge. You know, we living on this earth is oftentimes compared to uh, living a, a, the life that we live is a, a path or it's a, um, a road or a stream or a river. And the idea behind this is that our life is on this path, but we are not called to live in the mainstream of the path. We're called to live on the edge because that's where God resides. That's where he calls us. The mainstream is the, the, um, where most people are. It's where society is. It's where the, the prevalent thoughts and ideas and activities and attitudes towards life reside there. We're called to live separately from that, to live apart from that. In fact, I have two text verses today because one is kind of summing up the series and then the next one will be for today's message. So uh, if you would, stand with me so we can read God's word together. We like to stand in honor of his word. And this first one kind of sums up the month, and it is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and parts of verse 16 and 17. It says, for we are the temple of the living God. That's who we are. We are God's temple. And God has said that I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. That's his heart for us, that's what he's gonna do for us. And then this is what he tells us to do. Because of that, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. In other words, live on the edge. Be separate from the norms of society today. So that's our series for the month. Now that today, my message is gonna be based out of 1 Peter chapter two and verse nine, a very popular common verse you've probably heard many, many times. I'm reading it out of the King James because there's a word in the King James that I really like. It says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. <laughs> if you're a Christian, you're peculiar. Welcome to the crowd. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The title of my message today is A Peculiar People. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you today. Thank you for your presence in this place, Lord. We honor you today above all else, God. We pray that you would bring a harvest in our lives, Lord. God, we wanna know you in a greater way. We wanna serve you in a greater way. We wanna just be with you. We wanna come out and be separate to be your people. God, would you do that in our life because you're the one that has to do it. And we promise we'll give you all the glory, all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Praise God, you can be seated. So if you notice, actually, the front here where the youth usually sit, a lot of them are gone today. Uh, the youth are actually having a retreat right now in Myrtle Beach. They're really suffering for Jesus. And uh, uh, they are, um, they're having some community activities with them, but they're also getting some teaching. It's, it's an incredible weekend, actually. It's already been. In fact, Jessica was being FaceTimed in to see some of her youth being baptized today because they couldn't be here. But um, we got like 35 of them on this uh, retreat. We're believing for God to do incredible work in their hearts today. Um, but anyway, so we are called to live on the fringe of society. That's what God has called us to, to be on the edge. Not removed completely physically from society. I mentioned this last week. We are not called to be removed from it. We have to be part of society. We have to be part of this world. How else is the world gonna know about Jesus if we're not? But we are not called to be part of the attitudes, actions, and ideas that the world has. That we would respond to life differently than they would. We, we don't adhere to the status quo. That's what God has called us to, to, be, to come out and to be separate. And the word peculiar is in that verse that I read out of, second, or out of 1 Peter. 
And uh, I like that word because that really does describe us as followers of Jesus. The word peculiar means odd or unusual. And uh, that is us. We are unusual because we know most of society does not serve Jesus. So we are unusual when it comes to um, how society works, how this world lives and responds to the things that happen in their lives. Incidentally, though, this word peculiar here is not really translated like the, word, the way we would use it today, so to speak. It is more about being God's people, that we have been set aside, we've been set apart as his possession is what that actually means, which makes us peculiar because most people don't choose to do that. So we are a peculiar people because we are set apart, because we are actually God's own possession, because we don't follow the status quo of society. So you see, society would want us to follow the status quo. In fact, if we as Christians will follow the status quo, we'll fit in just fine. The world doesn't mind us as Christians as long as we're not ruffling too many feathers, right? In fact, that's, that's the same thing with Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, society didn't mind everything about him. They liked some stuff about him. They liked that he was healing people. They loved that part. But when he challenged the status quo and challenged their way of thinking, that was when they hated him. That was when they wanted to kill him. The status quo is actually what killed Jesus. If he would have just blended in and did things and kept his mouth shut and just healed people, he would have done fine. Now we know it was God's plan to crush him. We know that was his will, was to make, put the sins of the world on him. So we don't begrudge the fact of what happened to him, but the reality is we still deal with that today. And it's interesting because if you think about Jesus, literally the only person to ever walk this earth that lived a perfect sinless life. He never did anything wrong. He never did anything malicious in his life. He just you know, went into places and when he went to places, blind people saw, lame people walked, Demon-possessed people were set free. Even the dead were raised to life. Yet they killed him because he did not adhere to the mainstream. And we experience the same thing today as followers of Jesus. If we will actually follow him, we will see that we will, we will uh, be on the fringe of society. And listen, I don't say this. I wanna make sure you guys understand the goal of this month is not to get you to hate society. It's not to get you to hate people that aren't, Christians or, or resent or despise people that are part of the mainstream of society. That's not the goal of this at all. We are not to project our anger towards the people that have not bought into this faith or have not had their eyes open. The reason, is, the reason we're talking about this is so that we recognize it in ourselves, the fact that we are drawn to the mainstream, the fact that we are drawn to the middle, and that's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be on the edge. And if we're gonna hate anything, we need to hate that selfish, sinful nature that's in us that is constantly pulling us into the middle, into the mainstream. That's what we need to hate. Hate the fact that, that we're drawn there and that we so many times in a day, in a week, in a month, we just let ourselves get sucked right back into it. This is about us recognizing our issues. We can't project our anger onto the people that don't think or believe the way we do. Because frankly, in some respects, it's not even their fault. The Bible says that the God of this age, the God of this age, that is Satan, that is Lucifer, that is the enemy of your soul, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they can't even see it. In fact, you know, if we just, if I paint a little picture here, you got an unbeliever that's in the mainstream, living for themselves, doing their own thing, you know, just living for themselves and the things they care about. They're seeing you as a Christian on the edge and they're looking at this and they're going, man, something about that seems kind of right. 
what they're doing. They're making a, you know, it just feels kind of right, but I'm just, it just doesn't make sense to me that you would live your life that way. Why would you live your life for a God you can't see? Why would you get up on a Sunday morning, the best morning of the week to sleep in and go to church? Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense, right? And so they reject it because their eyes aren't open to what is actually going on because the God of this age has blinded their eyes, just like he did yours before you knew Jesus. So our anger is not meant to be projected onto them. Our, our anger should be on ourselves and our own sin nature that draws us into that place. You see, this is why society makes fun of Christians is because they don't really understand. It doesn't make sense. Like, why are you on the edge when you could be here just basking in the mainstream, just floating down the river? Why would you do that? And you know what we do is we make fun of things we don't understand. We make fun of things that don't make sense to us. At the, at the, at the least, we make fun of them, or we ignore them, or we hate them. In fact, the fact that we don't understand or we, things don't make sense to us is a large portion of the problem in society today. Racism is based on, I don't understand you, you're different than me. So I'm either gonna make fun of you, ignore you, or hate you. Bigotry is based on that. Most of the social issues in life are because we don't really understand, so it's just easier just to avoid or make fun or maybe even hate you. And that's why Christians are treated the way they are by society. They don't understand. It's not that they're lashing out at us because we go to church. What's it any of their business if I wanna get up on a Sunday morning and go to church? Or if I wanna wait till I get married to have sex with my girlfriend? Or if I wanna not get drunk on Saturday nights? Or if I wanna live a pure lifestyle? What's it any of their business? They make fun because they don't understand because it, to some degree, makes them feel bad about themselves too. But we are called to live this way. It's called being set apart to be peculiar people. And set apart is just another, another term for being sanctified. And I touched on this last week and then the, the, the crux of my message today, I'm gonna to talk more about sanctification because as I, as I said last week, sanctification is just a fancy word for being more like Jesus and less like yourself. It's more like living on the edge, less in the mainstream. It is a, it is a living pure, it's a living holy. The Bible says to be holy as I am holy. We can't be holy of ourselves, in and of ourselves. We, we surrender ourselves to God and let his holiness live through us. We are called to live set apart, to be sanctified. It is actually God's will for us that we be sanctified. For each and every one of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, his plan for you is to be sanctified. In fact, it says it very clearly, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse three, the Apostle Paul said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That's across the board. He wants us to be set apart. His plan, his purpose, his desire for you and for me is that we would be his possession. Church, we need to understand the gravity of that. We need to understand what that really means, that the God of the universe wants to be, have you as his possession, that your life would be found in him, that, that everything you do in life would be because you are his possession. I love the term that you've been reserved for him. He has reserved you. Such a beautiful, it's a life changer when we get that from our head to our heart to understand how much he really does love us and that he wants to, us to be his possession. Uh, if you've ever gone to a restaurant where they made reservations, like you had a party or something and you were part of the party and you walk into the restaurant, there's a ton of people waiting in the lobby for their table and you tell them who you're with and they're like, oh, well, this way, sir. And you walk past all those people waiting and say, you know, you don't say it, but you're thinking stinks to be you. I'll eat a piece of bread for you. And you're ushered back 
to your table where there's a sign that says reserved and you just feel a little bit bigger, which I could always use that, maybe a little taller. Just because a, little, a, a, a table at a restaurant was reserved for you. Think of how it should make us feel to know that we've been reserved by our God. We were reserved for him, not just for a steak or a lobster. We're reserved for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the first, the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Wants you to be his possession. Praise God. So if he wants us to be sanctified, the obvious question is, what does that look like? How does that happen? You might know already. You might have studied sanctification, understand it. I've studied it many times, but I can tell you preparing this, this this week and even looking at it last week too has been an incredible blessing to me. I love being reminded of the fact that he has called me to be set apart, that he has called me to be out of the world because we are marinating in the world all day, every day with your jobs, with your, your friendships, with your, your coworkers, with your television, with your computers, with your iPhones, your Androids, whatever you're looking at, you're marinating in the world every single day. So we have to be reminded that stuff's okay. You got, I need a job, I gotta work, I gotta make money, but we're still called to be set apart even while we're in it. We're in the job, we're not of it. We're in the world, we're not of it. So I wanna just hopefully answer or remind you or challenge you a few of the principles of sanctification today. And the first one is that sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit for Christians. That's the most obvious statement that I can make, but there's so much depth to it when you, when you think about it, and I wanna unpack it for you. You see, sanctification means that we grow in purity and holiness. We become more like Jesus. But it's imperative that we understand that this happens as a work of the Holy Spirit in us. See, if you're like me, and you just wanna be a good Christian boy or girl, and you know I'm a soldier for Christ. I'm part of the Lord's army. Yes, sir, right? And you, want, you, and you know you're supposed to be pure and holy, as the Bible says. The tendency is to take those marching orders and do everything you know to do to be pure, more pure, more holy, more sanctified, more set apart. What else do I have to cut out of my life, Lord? I need to cut out secular music? Okay, whatever I gotta do to be more pure and more holy. Not that cutting out secular music's bad. That's actually a good thing, but it, it, it's, it's all about our motivation and where it comes from. I see I'm supposed to be this way, so now I gotta work as hard as I can to be that way. That's not the way we do it. It's not meant to be for us just to say, well, God said to do this, so I have to do it. It's not like your boss telling you, hey, I need you to do this, 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 and this by next week, and so you just have to work your tail off to do it. It's God saying, I need you to be like this, but I'm gonna put my spirit in you to help you. It's actually gonna be a work of the spirit of God in you to help you walk out purity, holiness, sanctification, love for Jesus. It's his spirit that does that in us. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. The apostle Paul, in his letters to the Corinthian church, I'm gonna read a good bit of Corinthians today because it's so much good material about sanctification. In verse 30, it says, he, God, is the reason you have relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So this is saying, Jesus, it's saying that Jesus became for us sanctification. He actually, he doesn't just tell us to do it, he says, I am it. And if you will surrender your life and your, your heart and everything you are to me, I'll actually do it through you. 
I will live through you and you will see sanctification. You will see uh, set apartness growing in your life. Not because you just know you have to do it because that's what a good Christian boy or girl will do, but because I'm living through you and empowering you to live this life out that I've called you to live. So what that tells me is that sanctification starts with Jesus, it's Jesus in the middle, and it's Jesus at the end. And we just get to be part of it. And it's so important that we remember that. I have to be reminded of this weekly, church. I'd love to stand up here and say, man, I've been saved for 30 years. I'm a pastor of a great church. I got this figured out. You guys just need to be like me. <laughs> if I did that, I'd be lying. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like the word. And what I'm telling you is that this is something we always continually struggle with. I lived the first 25 years of my life living this way, knowing what I'm supposed to do and just trying real hard to do it. And what happens is you live with guilt, you live with condemnation, you live with all the negatives, even though you're doing the best you know to do, but you're living with all the negatives because you're doing it in your own strength. You're not letting him do it through you. And when you're letting him do it through you, when you mess up, you also can receive his grace and you can receive his mercy because you know you're just, it's, it's not so much that you're a bad Christian, it's that you just, you've, you've allowed yourself to get sucked into that mainstream for a moment. And you can just receive his forgiveness much easier when you come from this foundation. Now, that doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing just because he's the one that does the work. Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul, he tells us in verse 12, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's a beautiful, beautiful verse. He's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work to get saved. You can't get saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. So he's saying, once you're saved, you work out that salvation. This is a sanctification. He's saying you work out your sanctification with fear and trembling. It means you, you just constantly are submitting yourself, surrendering yourself to Jesus. You're constantly asking his forgiveness for your, for your screw-ups. You're constantly re-centering yourself in him and saying, okay, God, yeah, yesterday I was doing my own thing. Today I'm giving it back to you. Lord, keep doing what you're doing. And that we would work out this salvation. We work out this sanctification in our life. But then it says, it is, for it is God who works in you. So it can sound like Paul's contradicting himself. Hey, work it out with fear and trembling. God works in you. So it can be a, a total, and this is how my mind even works, where I'm, I'm doing everything I can do, and then all of a sudden I remember, oh, wait a minute, I can't do it on my own. Lord, I need your help. I need your help. It's only because of you and your grace and your mercy in my life that I can do this. It's constantly reminding ourselves that it is him who works in us, but we still work out that salvation with fear and trembling in our life. And because of that, I think, when I think of the fear and trembling, it's not, a, it's not literally like being terrified as we live this life for God, but it's, it's more about making war against our fleshly nature. It's about being intentional and adamant and, and even angry sometimes that we're still struggling with that same stinking sin I've been dealing with for 20 years. Don't ever get to a place where you're just like, you know what, that's just gonna be my thing and uh, you know, I'll just do the best I can. Get angry with your sin, church. When you mess up, get angry at that sin because that is the enemy working through your fleshly nature, causing you to come sucked right back in out, away from the edge again and trying to keep you from what God really has for you in your life. Don't, don't get numb to it. Don't get uh, used to it. For, and for God's sake, don't accept it when you struggle. 
no matter what it is, if it's pride, if it's lust, if it's greed, if it's, if it's uh, insecurities, whatever it is that's causing you to pull away from Jesus, man, make war against that thing in your life. Allow yourself to be used by God to defeat the sin in your life. We can live free from those things that hold us back. I believe it with all my heart. The problem is so oftentimes I think we can, we can get content with the fact that we're saved and the rest is kind of, mm, I don't want it to be this way, but man, at least I know I'm saved. And granted, salvation is the most important. None of it matters if we're not saved. You have to, be, you have to know where you're going when you leave this life because this life is short. But you know, the Bible talks about, Paul talks about in Galatians 6 about putting on the armor of God. I'm sure most of you know about the armor of God. It's a spiritual armor that we put on as we walk out this life of faith. And the one part is the helmet, and it is the salvation. And you can't have anything, if you don't have the salvation, the rest is moot. You've got to have that. The problem is, I think so oftentimes, we run around and we're spiritual streakers because all we got on is a helmet and nothing else. And I hope that didn't paint a really weird picture for anybody, but. <laughs> Shorts and a tank top and a helmet, how about that? But we don't need to be spiritual streakers. The Bible, Paul talked about the helmet of salvation, just one part, you got truth, you got righteousness, you got uh, uh, faith, you have the word of God in your life. We need all of those things. We need to gird our whole body with the, part, the, the, the spirit and the character of God in our lives. Let us not just be content with being saved. Now listen, my point here said that if you are, uh, that this sanctification is a work of God for Christians. And it's very important that we understand that because sanctification is impossible if you don't have that helmet of salvation. It's impossible. And if you're here today and you would say, I'm not a Christian, let me tell you, first of all, I am ecstatic that you are here. We pray every single week that God would bring people into this house, lots of people into this house, that don't know him as their Lord and Savior. Because this, we believe this is where you help, it can help you find him. We're not, we're not some club of a bunch of mature Christians. We're actually called to be a spiritual hospital where we can come and we can get the healing that we need that only comes from our Lord and Savior, from Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you've, maybe you think, you know, well, maybe you know, if I go to church, maybe it'll help me be a little better person. Or maybe I'll get, you know, I'll get a blessing from God because you know, I didn't sleep in on a Sunday morning and I actually came to church. Maybe, maybe God will bless me a little bit. Can I tell you with all the love I can tell you with in my heart, it's fruitless. It's fruitless because we are not here to be a better person. We come to God because we want to be a new person. Better is not cutting it. We need to be new, completely new. But here's the beauty of it. To be new is just a matter of giving your life to him. Understanding that you are a sinner that needs forgiveness, just like every one of us, and realizing that Jesus is the one that paid the debt for your forgiveness, and receiving his forgiveness and giving your life to him. And you will be new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if anyone is a Christian, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The, the newness of life, the, the symbolism of baptism, of the old man dying and the new man coming out, that is for anyone and everyone who would come to Jesus. And it is beautiful. It is the gateway to sanctification. There is no sanctification without the salvation first. We don't try to be a better self. We put on the whole new self. 
And if you're here today, you don't know Jesus, I pray you don't leave this place without giving your life to him. I did it 30 years ago and it's the best decision I ever made. And anyone here that is a Christian will tell you the same thing. There's nothing better. All right, my next point is that sanctification is progressive. <laughs> I pronounced that weird. Progressive. I mentioned last week that sanctification is a process. There's two aspects to sanctification. There's positional and there's progressive. The positional sanctification is what happens the moment you give your life to Jesus. The moment you walk in, step into salvation, you are immediately sanctified. You are immediately set apart and you are brought into the family of God. That is instantaneous and that does not change. We praise God for that. But there's also a progressive sanctification, a process of sanctification that happens in our life as we continue to walk this life of faith and as we continue to grow in our faith. We should be growing in our faith, church. We should be growing in our faith. If you have a short temper and you've been saved for 20 years, it's, the temper should be longer than it was 20 years ago because God is working in you. He is showing you, you've learned from situations in your life, he's sanctifying you, he's purifying you, he's making you holy so that when you encounter situations that you encountered 20 years ago, you're responding a lot differently because you are growing in your faith. Not because I just know better and I just have to respond better, but because the spirit of God is actually changing you and making you more like him. In fact, 2 Corinthians 3, 17, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. You can preach on just this passage for months. It says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Praise God. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. See the words he's using there? Which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. He's using words like we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory. That tells me that it's progressing that it's growing in us, the sanctification in our life, the, the holiness in our life, the purity in our life, that, we are, it, it, that we're being transformed and it's ever increasing in our life. And if it is a process, it means it doesn't happen overnight, that means we need to be renewed. We need constant renewal in our life, constantly being renewed because we're not just immediately sanctified and, and at the top of the mountain with the, the, the total purity, total holiness in our life. If we did, that'd be great, but that's not how God works. It's a process, and because it's a process, we fail, we fall, we get back up, and we need to be renewed every day. In fact, another, word, another passage in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Praise God for daily renewal in our life. That word renew there means, in the Greek, it means new strength and new vigor. I love that word vigor. We don't use it enough today. It's a great word. It's just, it sounds like power. New strength in our life where we can handle things in our life. And you know what? If you've been saved for a long time, you know that we need to be renewed every day. Me standing up here telling you you need to be renewed, you're looking at me like, well, duh. I've been a Christian for more than a week. I know I need renewal. And some of you, maybe you're still on your honeymoon with Jesus. Maybe you haven't been following him that long and you're just living on this mountaintop for the last while and you think, no, no, the, the old is gone. The new has come. Well, I'm a new person. I'm gonna rise on wings like eagles. Not always. <laughs> Not always. 
I hate to, hate to be the bearer of truth, but because when you give your life and your heart to Jesus, it doesn't mean all of a sudden all the obstacles are just moved out of the way. We still are in this process. And frankly, if you've been a Christian for a year, you're probably not gonna be as far along in the sanctification process as somebody that's been following Jesus for 50 years. Because they've dealt with a lot more situations and learned how to trust God in the middle of those and learn how to walk through them. So there's growth that comes from that. And we need this renewal. And it's not just physical, it's not just emotional, it's not just mental, it's everything. Our whole being needs to be renewed all the time. Because, listen, the, the Bible says in Lamentations that his mercies are new every morning. We wouldn't need new mercies every morning if I was just completely renewed. If I'm completely sanctified and I'm holy and pure before God, I wouldn't need new mercies. There's a reason it's every day. The Bible doesn't say his mercies are new every month or two. No, they're every morning because the mercies from yesterday aren't enough to get me through today. I need today's mercy to get me through today. Frankly, this is why, and if you can get a hold of this church, this will change your life too because it is so powerful. The word of God is so good. So much of the worry, anxiety, stress, fear that we have about the future, all of it actually, is so pointless when you understand how God works in our life. Because see, if you're worried about something that might happen next week or next month or next year or five years from now or 10 years from now, if you're worried about that, there's not a thing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about that. The grace that you need to get through that, if it ever does happen, which usually it doesn't, but even if it does, the grace you need to get through that, you don't have it today. You don't have grace for tomorrow today. You have today's grace for today. Whatever you need for today is what you have today. You don't have the grace to deal with what's gonna happen 10 years from now. You don't have it today. So there's no sense in even worrying about it because there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, all of us have, been in a, have seen people go through situations and we've watched them go through something that was traumatic or some tragedy or just something that's just really difficult and we've looked at them and we've said, I don't know how you're surviving this. If that was my child, or if that was my job, or if that was my house, or if that was my husband or my wife, or if this was happening to me, I'd be losing it, right? We've all done that. And we've seen people go through and think, I don't know how they're doing it. I do not know how they are. I've said it so many times. The reason you don't know is because you don't have the grace to go through it, because you're not going through it. When you get to that spot, if that spot happens in your life, that's when you'll have the mercy, you'll have the grace, you'll have the renewal that you need to get through that situation. It, God gives it to us as we have need in that moment. You can't store up grace. You can't store up purity. You can't store up holiness and mercy and all the attributes of God you want in your life. You get what you need for the day. It is about today. It is about living in the moment. Jesus even said that, he said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You don't get to get, you don't get, to get comfort from mourning until you're mourning. You can't have it. It's not yours. And that's why when you see somebody that lost a loved one and they're going through it and they're rejoicing and praising God at the funeral and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I could do that. They probably would have said the same thing a month ago. But they have the grace that they need for today because that's how God works and that's who he is. That's exactly what he does in our life. He fills our tank every day because we cannot run on yesterday's fuel. You can't do it. And you don't have tomorrow's fuel. So you only have today's. You know, about a week ago, uh, Joy and I went out to eat. Uh, it was a Friday night. 
And uh, we took her out to eat, and then we went and got some coffee afterwards. By the way, men, I don't care how long you've been married, take your wife out. And all the women said, do it. It's worth it. It reaps. You reap what you sow, gentlemen. And so we went out, and we just left the, the place where we got coffee, and I'm driving up Washington Road. All of a sudden, my van loses power. Yes, the van that God has anointed and blessed for all these years. <laughs> and I coasted right up into the uh, Warren Baptist parking lot. And I thought, maybe this is God telling me I need to be Baptist. I don't know. Um, no, my biggest fear was that somebody was going to come out from the church and be like, what are you doing here? Well, I'm the pastor of New Hope and my van stinks. That's what I'm doing here. Um, but no, uh, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. It didn't make sense to me. And uh, the gas gauge showed I had a little bit of gas and my miles to empty readout said 28 miles to empty. I'm thinking, this is weird. And, um, but then I got to thinking about it and I remembered that in the morning when I got in my van, it said 38 miles to empty. And I knew I drove a lot more than 10 miles. <laughs> and so the good news was I was pretty confident that I just ran out of gas. Um, and so we called Taylor, she was at home. I had a can of gas at the house. She came all the way over and brought this gas and put some in the van, boom, fired it right up. So it worked. But uh, you know, I'm, a pastor's never gonna let a good story go, go by without using it as an illustration in a sermon. And uh, it really works for this one because my fuel gauge lied to me. <laughs> and your fuel gauge lies to you too. You know, I'm serious. You're, you're, your nature will tell you, oh, I'm good. I don't have to worry a whole lot about sanctification. You know, I, I can kind of, you know, I got my helmet of salvation. I'm good. And you're riding down kind of the center, the mainstream of the, the, the river there. And it's until you, a big rock comes up in the center or a big tree is there that is down that you think, well, now I need to go to God. When an obstacle comes in our life, well, now, okay, now I need to go back to God because I, I need God to do something for me. You know, I need to go back to church because I really need God to bless my job. And so, you know, it makes sense that I would just go to church and ask God to bless me. And that's our, that can be our tendency. And you feel like, oh, I got enough fuel, I'm good, you know, I, I'm, I'm good. But your fuel gauge is lying to you and you do not have the fuel you need for tomorrow until tomorrow. And it's gonna come as you submit yourself to Jesus, as you line yourself up with him and you allow him to do his sanctifying work in your life is, is when you're going to really experience the fuel that you need to get through your day and to get through your life for the glory of God. So, why does he do it slowly? Why does he sanctify us slowly? Why can't he just, you know, we get saved, we're just this new person, and it's just, man, it's just rainbows and cotton candy for the rest of my life. There's lots of verses that can explain why he does it the way he does it. I'm just gonna read one to you. It's also out of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. It says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, he chose the lowly things of this world and the, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, and here it is. So that no one may boast before him. So that everything he does in your life, everything, church, everything he does in your life, good, bad, whatever it is, all of it is to bring glory to him. He will not share his glory with you. He will not share his glory with me. He will not share his glory with the angels. He will not share his glory with anybody. And I promise you, if he just sanctified us immediately and we were just 
riding along and living pure and holy and doing everything that we know to do and it was just great and perfect and and never had any sickness, never had any issues come up in life, never had any relationship problems, everything was just smooth, I promise you we would take the credit. We already do and that's with him even having to work in us all the time and he will not share the credit. If we don't need to get fuel every day and we just got enough fuel forever, we're gonna forget where we got our fuel. And that is not his heart for us. He doesn't, want us to have, he doesn't want us to have enough all the time. He wants us to go back to the station every day because that's where he is. He wants us to have to go back to him every single day so that if we're gonna boast about anything good in our life, we're gonna boast in his goodness. We're gonna boast about his faithfulness. We're gonna boast about his mercy. We're gonna boast about his grace and everything that he's done in our life for his glory. But it's for our good too. We get to reap the benefits of that in our life. Praise God. So third and finally, sanctification gives us eyes to see what God is doing. Gives us eyes to see what God is doing. I love this so much. This for me has been a game changer in my life. And I wish I could tell you it just happened in a single moment. It has happened progressively over my life, over the span of my life where I feel like I have more vision to see what God is doing in my situations all the time. And frankly, I can tell you that I, I have lived in this life of faith long enough, been around long enough, where I have realized that I would actually, when I'm in a situation that is less than desirable, whatever it is, anything that comes up in my life that I would consider an obstacle or something that I would not really have wanted, whatever it is, I would rather God give me eyes to see what he's doing in the situation than for him to fix it. I can honestly say that. Now, that's not to say if, you know, Somebody in my family had cancer that I would say, well, God, just show me what you're doing. I don't really want you to heal them. I'm not going as far as that, but I'm saying when the, the things that come up in my life, the tendency immediately is for any of us to say, God, please fix this. Oh God, please move this out of the way. Can you please get rid of that annoying coworker in my life? Please, God, move them on, give them a promotion, do whatever you gotta do. I would rather go to God and say, God, what are you showing me in this? What are you trying to do in my life in this situation? And you'd be amazed that when, as we grow in sanctification, grow in being set apart and fixing our eyes and our hearts on him, you'd be amazed how he will show you sometimes what he's doing. You'll see actually how his hand is in a situation that's less than desirable, where he's even brought someone into your life that has been able to encourage you or help you walk through it that you would have never met out if this situation hadn't happened, or vice versa, where you've God has used you, you've been in a situation you didn't want to be in, but it brought you into, a situa into someone else's life where you were able to be a light for them, and you were able to be salt for them, and you were able to encourage them, and God's more concerned about people and, and people loving him and the furthering of his kingdom than he is about fixing all of our problems. There's no question about it. He wants us to have eyes to see, and that's what sanctification does for us. Uh, there's a story in Joshua 3, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna close with this. And uh, in Joshua, the book of Joshua, if you're, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, the, the Israel had become a nation of people. There's a lot of people, and God had promised them years and years earlier that they were gonna inherit this great land, this promised land, it was called. But they had become slaves in Egypt for 400 years. It took a long time for this promise to be fulfilled. They were slaves in Egypt. Finally, God raises up Moses, who delivers them out of Egypt. Incredible, glorious thing. But then they're stuck between Egypt and the promised land for 40 years, they're in the desert. Because of their sin, God said, you're not going to the promised land. That whole generation had to die off and finally, Moses even died, and Joshua was raised up to actually get to usher them into 
the promised land. And they're about to go in. In fact, they get to, they're to the Jordan River. The Jordan was the, had to be opened up again. It was another time God parted water so that the Israelites could go through and go into the promised land. And right before they went in, I wanna read you this passage out of Joshua 3. It says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Now the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God for the children of Israel. It was literally the presence of God. God resided in that Ark. Then, then, you, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it, Joshua told the people. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now that word consecrate there in many translations is translated as sanctify. Sanctify yourselves. In other words, set yourself apart. In other words, live on the edge, for tomorrow you will see amazing things that God will do among you. This is such a beautiful passage. He's telling them that you have to, to sanctify yourself to see these things that God's gonna do. You have to be a part and, and lined up with God in your life if you wanna see the amazing things that God is gonna do. Here's the thing, church. God is doing amazing things all the time. He's doing amazing things right now. He's doing amazing things tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. He is always doing amazing things and he's doing them in your life too. Problem is, oftentimes we don't have eyes to see it. We don't see the amazing things that he's doing because we're not sanctified, because we're not pursuing him, because we're not pursuing, uh, allowing him to work in us and through us in our life. We're, we're dipping our toes in the mainstream and kind of trying to, to go between the edge and the middle all the time. And God's doing amazing things and we don't see it. It's why a situation can happen to a family and one person can use that situation to be mad at God, to be angry, to complain every single time you talk to him and, and talk about how the world's against him and somebody else in that family can say, man, I can see God's hand all through this. I can see God's moving. Man, I can see his favor. I can see his blessings. Yes, would I, would I rather this wasn't happening? Of course, but I can see him in the midst of it. To have eyes to see we have to be sanctified. It's the only way. It's the only way to be able to see what he's doing. And church, I believe that he's doing great things in all of your lives. I mean, I, there's people that you probably even know that talk about the goodness of God all the time. And it can actually, sometimes if, if you're not at that place, it can almost be annoying. You know, oh, I'm just so thankful. God got me to work safely today. I didn't have a car accident. Well, of course you didn't. Why would you? right? That can be the attitude. I'm just so thankful. Man, I'm, when, when people that, when they get a meal in front of them and they genuinely pray and thank God for their food, like, thank you God so much for this food. You know, if you don't have eyes to see it, it can be annoying. Thank God for the breath in my lungs. Thank God for everything. When you see people genuinely worshiping in music and in song and you think, man, really? I mean, it's just a song. Is it that big of a deal? But if you have eyes to see, you know that we can worship God in every circumstance in our life but we have to have eyes to see it. Joshua told them, 
He said, you're gonna see the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant going. He said, stay back from it. This is very interesting. He said, stay back. Now, you know, people a lot smarter than me, theologians, they, they make different arguments as to why he told them to stay away from the Ark, to stay a thousand yards back. Part of it was because that everybody wouldn't have been able to see it if they were too close to it. But it's also possible that they might've got ahead of it. Because see, our tendency is to get ahead of God sometimes in our life, isn't it? Like, just go on ahead. Like, okay, God said to cross the river, go in, the walls are gonna fall, we're gonna take Jericho, let's go. And the ark, the ark ain't keeping up. These guys, these priests are carrying this ark, they're too slow, let's go guys, come on. We got places to go and people to kill. <laughs> and we can get ahead of God. If we, but we have, if we have eyes to see, if we, if, we get, if we make sure we stay at a place where we can actually see what he's doing, it changes everything. It changes everything if we have eyes to see what he is doing in our life. I love that in that passage, Joshua said, when you see the ark, you have to move out from your position and follow it. We have to move away from those other things that would keep us from following the presence of God in our life from following the call of God on our life, from following the will of God for our life, from staying away from the edge. We have to move away from those things. To follow God is always going to require that you are moving out from your fleshly position. Always going to require it. Because it is always contrary to what God wants for your life. He has called you to be sanctified. It is his will for your life. Because it will honor him and it will bless you for the glory of God. Would you stand with me, please? As we close today, I would like to pray for all of you. You're welcome to come to the altar this morning. If you just wanna spend some time with God, you wanna kneel before him, you're welcome to come here. Or you can respond in your seat as well. I would encourage you today, I know for me, like when I wanna, when I feel like I'm just wanting to receive from God, I'm just wanting to open myself up to him and let him do whatever he wants to do. It is so good for me to just hold my hands out almost as a way of like, I'm just, I'm just receiving whatever he's dropping for me. I would encourage you to do something today to respond to him, to allow him to minister to you in this moment. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you are in this place. I thank you, Lord, for your heart for each and every one of us, that your desire is that we would be sanctified, that your purpose, your plan for us is that we would be set apart as your possession, that our lives would not look like society looks. Our lives would look like you would want them to look. That we would live lives that honor you, that glorify you, that exalt you, that, that, that praise your name, that elevate your name. In the name of Jesus, God, would you do that in our lives? Whatever it is that's drawing us away from the edge, away from giving everything to you, God, I pray that you would reveal it to us. I pray that you would deal with our hearts today and that you would show us, God, Lord, we wanna have eyes to see. We want eyes to see what you are doing. Lord, there's times we want you to fix our situation, but God, I know there's plenty of times we just need to be able to have some understanding. Would you give us the eyes to see? Help us to do as the Israelites did, to sanctify ourselves so that we could see the amazing things that you are doing in our lives. And God, as you walk us through this life, and we progress in our being set apart, in holiness, in purity, in love for you, God, and how we respond to things in life, God. As we, as we walk through this life, Lord, I thank you that you're walking with us. And God, I thank you that you are 
that you are changing us, that you are transforming us with ever-increasing glory, God. And we receive that today. Lord, we repent where we have fallen short. We repent where we have even tried to do it on our own, where we have said, ah, we don't need this. We're trying to run on our own fuel. God, we don't want to do it. We pray that you would be the fuel in our lives. God, that you would give us everything we need. Lord, we know it is for your glory and we can only give you thanks and praise for it. And God, I pray for anyone in this place today or anyone under the sound of my voice that does not know you as their Lord and Savior would say, I don't even know that I'm a Christian, that I'm in Christ. God, I pray that you would work on their hearts right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, that they would come to that place that all of us have come to where we have said, I can't do this on my own. I am not good enough. There is no good that even resides in me. Lord, that we would see that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, that we need you so desperately. And God, I pray that for anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would not leave this place today without giving you their heart, giving you their life, receiving the forgiveness that you so freely give us for all who will come to you. We thank you for it today, God. We bless your holy, wonderful, precious name, Jesus. You are worthy of it all, God. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of everything that we are. We thank you for it today, Jesus. We give it all to you, God. Be honored in our lives. Be glorified in our lives. Let people come into the kingdom because they see you in us. Lord, help us to affect the people in our lives for your glory and for your kingdom. God, that we would not be removed from society, that we wouldn't resent society, but that we would, that we would go into it, God, to make a difference, to be the salt that you've called us to be. You said that we are the light of the world. Let us be that light, God. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it today. Hallelujah. We praise your name, Jesus. Glory to your holy name, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you that you have reserved us for yourself. Hallelujah. Praise your name, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, let's praise him today, church. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're worthy, God. You're worthy.